spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 228th annual Subliminal Reception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody Drum Pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Well, I gotta say, it's our first day back to work after an extended break, and I gotta say, mm-hmm. it fucking sucked. <laughs> I uh so didn't have too bad of a day today at work, but yeah, definitely hard to get out of bed at uh 3 35 this morning. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how you did it. Um I don't think I actually even went to bed until like 2.30 because I was having trouble sleeping. But, uh, so yeah, that would have really been fucking terrible. Uh, how was your New Year's weekend, I guess, bringing in 2024? Well, I got, uh, two stories for you. Okay. So, first night of the celebration, I decided to go to the bar to watch Ohio State. Uh, they got their ass kicked, so that was a, a nice little... You know, nice little change up from what usually happens in Ohio State games. But I I will say I didn't want to drink that night because I knew I was going to, you know, have it up on New Year's Eve. So I just got Dr. Peppers and ordered some food. The problem is, I guess the bartenders here don't really like it when you order, uh, you know, soda and get food at a bar. So I was brought, uh, I ordered potato skins and cheese curds. Okay. Midwestern delicacies. Yep. The problem is... I was brought out potato skins and mozzarella sticks. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. In Arizona, there's not really a big difference between mozzarella sticks and cheese curds. So really, I didn't even like send them back because it's basically the same thing. It's breading. They use the same cheese and they're fried. You know, that's yeah. Yeah. Had I been in Minnesota or Wisconsin. And I was brought out mozzarella sticks instead of cheese curds. I would assume that the bartender chick wanted to fight me out in the parking lot. <laughs> because that is an affront. If you bring someone mozzarella sticks when they order cheese you know, curds. You know what's funny? You mentioned that. As time progressed here, I feel like I've seen less and less mozzarella sticks, even on the menu. It's almost mm. always cheese curds. The funny thing is here, when I first moved here, you couldn't find a place that had cheese curds. Now, pretty much every single bar that you go to has cheese curds. And a lot of them, it seems like they might be getting rid of their mozzarella sticks. So it's a little different. I think it's easier to get mozzarella sticks in like supermarkets now, though. So maybe it's not becoming like a bar food thing anymore. But I will say this also. I was about halfway through eating my because I'm obviously watching the game. It's on the big TV right in front and I'm staring at it. And the bartender lady comes over and hands me a to go box and just kind of like tosses it down in front of me and walks away. So she obviously wanted me to leave, give up the seat to someone who's going to be drinking alcohol. <laughs> so instead of uh, instead of packing up my food and leaving, I, of course, you know, stayed until the end of the game and asked for about six refills of Dr. Yeah. Pepper. Yeah. So. Good on you. Don't let him bully you. <laughs> exactly. Fuck that bitch. 
fucking sending me cheese, fucking mozzarella sticks instead of cheese curds, and then throwing a fucking box. I shouldn't have tipped, but I did. I always tip a dollar per refill when I'm drinking soda. Okay. The same as had I bought like alcoholic beverages, a dollar per. Yeah. Same thing. So okay. the, at least they get the tip for a refill, you know, bringing me drinks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I figured you were going to tip. I didn't think you had it in you to not tip. No, no. I'm too fucking Midwestern nice to uh to not tip though i will say i did probably perhaps the most baller thing i've ever done in my entire life on uh i was i told you i was going to tell you this story uh before so i'm going to tell it right now so it was new year's eve night uh obviously you know in the in the everywhere basically but in the valley too the lifts and the ubers get very expensive on new year's eve night. yeah yeah so i decided i i left about 12 15 from the bars and my trip home usually cost about 22 to $30. So it was up to almost $60 at that point already. Holy shit. So I did. Yeah. So I decided, well, I'll do the wait and save, which is only like 35 bucks. So I wait about 25 minutes. The, the clock has to go down 25 minutes before the drivers even can see you pop up. So about 25 minutes go by and it says, Oh, just a few seconds now. It says just a few seconds now for another 45, 50 minutes. After Holy that. shit. So it is almost, yeah, it is almost two o'clock in the morning and I'm just standing there. By this time, like a regular ride home is probably getting close to like 65 bucks. Had I just canceled that and, you know, redid the, the lift. So there was actually a guy who was waiting on a fare because I was at the, the point of pickup for the ride sharing. They have little, little points where, um, the ride shares come in and you can like, you know, shuffle people in and out quicker without getting in the way of traffic. So there's a guy, he's waiting for his fare and he's waiting about 10 minutes. He calls him twice. And then I get the idea in my head, like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. So I walk up to the guy's window and I say, Hey, if you drop that asshole, I'll give you a hundred dollars to drive me home. And he's like, deal. So really? I get in and hand him a hundred dollar bill. And he's like, where are we going? I give him my address. And we fucking get out of there. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Damn. It was cold too. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I've never done anything like I just happened to have a hundred in my wallet because I carry it for emergencies. And that was a fucking emergency because I had been standing out in the cold for like an hour and 20 minutes. Holy shit. Dude, that is, yeah. I don't know how you even made it that long. Yeah, I know. I, well, the thing kept on saying, oh, just a few more seconds. The thing is I could have probably save myself 40 bucks by just saying like take me home now that kind of deal had i done that an hour and a half before because by the time that i did that it would have been like 70 bucks so really i you know with the tip i would have ended up spending like 80 bucks to get home because i had to get home at some point so but yeah i've never done that before where i just you know shout out to him too i don't know i told him about the podcast he said he was gonna start listening so okay to the i'm not gonna say his name and i'm not gonna say who he drives for but to the very kind gentleman who gave me a ride home thank you very much yeah yeah i <laughs> very kind of you to drop that asshole because he called him like he was about to call him a third time and this dude was like probably trying to take home some chick in the bar so. yeah yeah well, um, here's a moral of the story for you uh, from Phil. Bribery. Eat bribery speaks volumes in the United States of America, except for cops or any other 
a person associated with the judicial system. Everybody else, you can pay them off. Maybe judges. I bet judges still take bags of money. True. But yeah, definitely True. don't. <laughs> Don't offer a cop money. No. Yeah, no. I was a little surprised that a C-note still holds, you know, some swaying power this day and age when it seems like money is pretty much worthless nowadays. (laughs) You know what? It's easy $100. Why not? Yep. And he gets the whole thing, too. So he doesn't have to share it with all the the executives at uh, his ride sharing app. Shit, he probably didn't even enter it in his little phone thingy, huh? Oh, no, I was totally telling him, like, okay, turn right here. Turn left here. Okay. (laughs) Hell, yeah. Yeah. That was... uh, Didn't even even put it in his Google Maps. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't want to risk anything. Didn't want to risk shit. He, yeah, he dropped that guy, and then I think he signed out of his app, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad that worked out for the both of you, too. Um, But And I'm glad you got home after fucking an hour and a half or whatever that's ridiculous oh yeah i had to grab a comforter out of the closet just to <laughs> thaw myself out when i got home Ooh, damn. it is not good <laughs> well i'm glad you made it home safe and you're here and you're ready for this week's episode phil i am let's all hit it. right on this week's installment of sub d we'll be traveling back to the late 1800s, a time period that was teeming with spiritual and supernatural beliefs that most religious folk in the modern age would consider to be blasphemous. Now, why remembering the spiritual climate is going to be important on today's episode is we are talking about a case of probably the worst or at least the ver- the most fucking annoying type of haunting, a poltergeist. So what we want to do is kind of figure out Is this a real haunting or is this nothing more than kind of just some people getting caught up in the fervor of the era and the belief in spirits and all of this shit? Okay. So, uh, so did they, did they call it a poltergeist? I have to ask this. I don't know if you know this one. Did they call it a poltergeist back then or did they like have classifications? You know, I can't say for certain, but I'm pretty sure poltergeist is quite a, quite an old phrase. It sounds a little German. So, yeah. I mean, have we covered a poltergeist before on here? I feel like we have. Yeah, I I feel like we have. At least some of the ghosts we've talked about probably were poltergeist. So, um, you're familiar with the Enfield haunting, right? Yes. So this is going to have a lot of shades of that. So people who are familiar with kind of what went on in the Enfield haunting, you're going to see a lot of parallels here. Um, we will obviously have to cover the Enfield haunting at some point, but uh, but we have not yet. But if you know anything, the poltergeist is just just wants to. It's like a needy cat. It just does mm. not leave you alone. Definitely. Yeah, like <laughs> stage five clinger yeah. of the ghost world. Yes. And the more that you acknowledge it, the worse it gets. Yes. And I think actually that, and then the, that might be what's happening here. Yeah. The weird thing, it seems like um, like hearing about them, when you acknowledge it, then it starts getting worse. The worst thing you can do, though, is just to start ignoring it because then it really heats shit up. Because <laughs> it knows you're ignoring it. So it, yeah. where's the middle ground in that philosophy? Do you like kind of acknowledge it sometimes, but most of the time don't? What? How do you do that? 
go out for groceries and then just leave all your shit. Never come back. <laughs> Hope that it doesn't follow you. <laughs> well, we'll find out if uh, this one stays behind or follows, which I'll let you in a secret. It follows. But uh, yep. anyway, now the story would eventually gain mass popularity after a man named Walter Hubble published a book titled The Great Amherst Mystery in 1879, which would go on to sell over 55,000 copies, which is impressive for the time period. Now, after the haunting activity kind of began to spread through the community, um, this is where Walter Hubble came into the story. Walter believed himself to be a, quote, authority on the elusive, elusive, (laughs) elusive effects because he was a stage performer and he believed he could figure out all these simple smoke and mirror tricks, but he would actually be disproven himself when he kind of lived with them for a while and ended up having his own experiences. He is quoted as saying, truth, it has been said, is often stranger than fiction, What I have written is the truth, and it is very strange. Now, I will admit, this could be (laughs) just Mm. something for him to sell the book. Yep. But apparently, his initial intention was to go there and then just kind of snuff it out and prove to everybody that it was bullshit. Yeah, I was going to hold my tongue there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you kind of said it. It does kind of seem like... He is like a self-fulfilling prophecy type situation where he goes, no, no, I totally went here (laughs) to disprove all this. But then it happened. It's real. And I'm you can buy my (laughs) you can buy my book and read all about it. You know, I'm going to have merch, too. What's interesting is, well, we'll talk about later. But when I'm telling this story. I'm not including any real dissenting opinions simply because I know that Phil will be the perfect person to install those dissenting opinions. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, there's no videos or anything from this time. The Enfield Haunting does have plenty of videos you can watch. This one, you know, obviously, we're just taking their word for it. Although there is quite a few witnesses, I will say that. Now our story, go ahead. I was going to say this really quick. Here's what I would always really like to see. So you kind of make up a story about a house and how it being haunted. Like, oh, this house is haunted as shit. Everyone who's ever lived here has claimed that this house is haunted. And then send Zach Baggins there. The problem (laughs) is that house is just kind of an ugly old house. But no one's ever claimed to have it. Like, no one's ever claimed that it was a haunted. No one's ever seen like a demon, ghost, poltergeist aliens anything no one's ever seen anything paranormal there but just like talk it up as if this place was you know huge in the paranormal world you know like really a a big hot spot kind of like a demon portal type situation and then kind of tell zach baggins tell like mediums and you know other hucksters have them go in there and then like see what they claim is there kind of situation that would be a great like um thing to test you could only do it once it'd have to be like a documentary couldn't be even a series you would have to just do it once because kind of like once the word's out on what you're doing that that'll spread like wildfire in that community because none of them want to be proven a huckster you know yeah you'd have to like 
invite them all, not tell anybody why you're doing it, get a mass group of them uh, studied, and then release your work. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One big bang. You couldn't, yeah. yeah. You couldn't have that be a reoccurring thing. No, 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 no. No no one would ever trust you in that world again. Well, uh, Bill Gates, you know what to do next. Um, Anyway, (laughs) continue. He's too busy stealing farmland. (laughs) Now, our story takes place in the relatively small town of Amherst, located in Nova Scotia, which for those who may not know, is uh, resides within Canada. As of 2021, it has a population of around 9,500 people, and it's kind of known for the Victorian era architecture that's still there to this day. Um, it's I looked at pictures, looks awesome. I love Victorian era uh, kind of buildings and such. Now, the main person who the story revolves around is a young girl by the name of, I think this is Esther. Is it Esther? Esther. What do you think? Uh, probably it looks like Esther, but I bet it's spelled Esther. Esther. Yeah, that's what, because I was kind of thinking about it. Most of the time, Esther doesn't have an H in it. No. But if you pronounce it out, Esther, Est, her, I guess it kind of does sound like Esther. But anyway, we're going with Esther. Her name is Esther Cox. Um, Now, she had a bit of a tragic beginning to her life. According to one source, she was a preemie baby that weighed only five pounds for the first nine months of her life. That is a very tiny baby. When she was only three months old, her mother sadly passed away. Her father, he almost immediately got remarried. He moved to Maine and he left Esther in the care of her grandmother. So he's just like, all right, uh, she's dead. I'm out of here. Take the kids. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fresh start. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. (laughs) I'm just like, Jesus, the baby's so small. And just this guy just like, fuck it. I'm I'm going to Maine. God, they didn't even have like incubation chambers back then. Kind of like we would think of them. You know what I mean? Like the, he probably didn't think that she would survive. I mean, no, not really. Right. I mean, five pounds all the way up until nine months old. That's fucking tiny. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, as of 1878, when the story all began, Esther is currently living with a man named Daniel Teed, who is married to Esther's older sister, Olive. Daniel and Olive had two young boys named Willie and George. Also living in the house was Daniel Teed's brother, John, and Esther's other siblings, William and Jane. So this is a full fucking house and they describe it as a cottage which i assume means is not very big okay so esther's dad didn't just leave an infant he basically just kind of left the entire herd of children (laughs) that (laughs) he and his wife had also if esther's older sister olive is married that means that there was probably a lot of time between them if they had the same mother then that might kind of explain uh, back then that would have been a very that would have I don't know if exactly how old the mother was, but if they were the, had the same mother, that would have been like the geriatric kind of pregnancy that we kind of call it. Oh, now. yeah. If you um, think about it. So, so that might explain the kind of like the, you know, the premature birth and all of that, the complications. There you go. So here's what 
I'm not sure mother, father, her mother, father aren't even really mentioned them for the rest of the story. But mm. um, Esther is 18 in 1878, meaning she was born in 1860. Her sister Jane is 22. Uh, and I'm not sure William or Olive's age, but I believe they are older. Okay, so I thought that Esther, no, that the, disregard everything I just said. I thought <laughs> that in 1878, Esther was still uh, young. I thought she was like still a, a small child. No, she would be. Oh, okay. Never mind then. It, it, okay. That, yeah, that totally negates everything that I just said then. Because <laughs> the way that, the way that uh, it kind of sounded to me was that small child Esther was living with her adult sister, Olive. That's no. what it sounded like. No, oh, okay. I, from what I gathered, it doesn't go into detail about that, but it, I, it kind of sounded like grandma took care of Esther for a while, and then when she was kind of old enough, she moved in with uh, Olive and the husband and all these other people. Yeah, once <laughs> once Olive was old enough to get married, surprise, you've also yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got a small herd of yeah. your brothers and sisters to... To tangle with too, besides Ooh. your own kids. Ooh, yeah, it's God. I I know this was common at the time, but God damn, this is a full house. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, it was all about. So even like, there was no real help from the state. It was mostly like family and charity for yeah. like a situation like this. So yeah, yeah, very true. Now. Uh, we're going to start to get in the meat potatoes here. All right. Okay. The story really begins to kick off with an incredibly, and I'm saying that not jokingly, and this is an incredibly wild event that would take place on August 28th, 1878. It was roughly 7 p.m. and a carriage drove up to the gate of Daniel Teed's home Driving the carriage was a 19-year-old young strapping lad by the name of Bob McNeil, who is a shoemaker by trade. He also uh, works for Daniel Teed. I want you to keep that in mind. Um, he, okay. he had black hair and black eyes and sported a very sharp little black mustache. Bob would enter the house and shake hands with Esther and then proceeded to tell her, Go and put on your hat and sack and take a ride with me, Esther, and I will tell you why I did not call last evening as I promised. So, <laughs> I know that's Southern, but it feels, when you hear about this guy, it's going to feel very appropriate. Um, so, old, so old Bob McNeil, not only is he a cobbler, but he also lays some pipe, too, yeah. it sounds like. Well, he's trying to lay some pipe, we'll say that. <laughs> But um, no, no, I wasn't calling on a different girl last night. I was uh, <laughs> you. All, I was at the church. That's what it was. All you ladies out there, I just want you to know: back in this day, a man would come to your house in a horse and carriage and pick you up and get, take you out for a little stroll. I mean, isn't that romantic? Yeah, that's what the the idea of gentleman the gentleman caller was he wasn't calling on the phone he was at the door in like hey let's uh let's go, let's go find somewhere nice to go uh hang out for a <laughs> <Yeah>. while <laughs> this was the og uh make out uh spot i guess is what uh they're trying to go to hmm. now, now it appears as if bob mcneil is attempting to court 
at the time, 18-year-old Esther. Esther was excited to take a stroll in Bob's carriage, which I imagine at the time sounded pretty goddamn exciting. So Bob and Esther ventured off and drove into Amherst, the town itself, before heading towards the marsh. As they began to head into a wooded area, Bob suddenly pulled the carriage over and began to have what the lawyers at the time would refer to as, quote, emotional insanity. Uh, Once the carriage stopped, Bob pulled out a large revolver and pointed it at Esther. He demanded that she get out of the carriage or he is going to kill her. Esther refused to get out and demanded that Bob drive her home immediately and quit acting like, quote, a crazy man. After hearing her call him a crazy man, Bob became so enraged, he pointed the gun directly at her heart, and he was just to fire off a shot. But luckily for Esther, the sound of another carriage coming down the road scared Bob, and he promptly took the reins again and sped off, dropping Esther off at her home immediately. <laughs> How's that for court and for a, you, Phil? That's a bit of a rough date. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh... yes. If your date pulls a gun on you, um, yeah, I don't know. I, this is so weird because it's almost like, I don't know if this guy was a fucking psychopath or like what? Because she had went on these rides with him before, and just for some reason, he just did it at this point. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> Dude, you picked me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll, you, come with, you come on a ride with me, and I'll tell you why I didn't come pick you up last night. Oh, it turns out I'm a fucking psychopath. Yeah. That's why. Oh my God! Yeah, oh, I, sh- I was busy traumatizing another young lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's your turn tonight. Um, so a lot of sites speculate now in the book itself because this guy's book, I kind I kind of read it because it's pretty short. Um, there's no mention of sexual assault of any kind, but some people believe it might have happened. But she never talks about it. So we're not really sure. Regardless, either scenario is terrible. But um, yeah, I don't know. We don't know for sure what happened. We know he pulled out a gun. Okay. Yeah, I was I was going to say that. uh, Was this leading to something else or um, and also back then maybe wouldn't have said anything about anything like that. That was, I think, what they're kind of like leaning into like the guy who wrote the book's not going to write about her being assaulted by this guy, I guess is kind of what people are speculating. Yeah. In well, even in like the 1970s and eighties, the stigma would have been bad enough. I can't even imagine the 1870s. Oh my God. Yeah. Horrible. The church, the church probably would have blamed her and tried to, you know, kick her out of town, send her off to one of the uh, nun schools. Oh, the fucking nunnery. Yeah, yeah nunnery. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot. I was like, what do they call those things? A fucking nunnery. Now, yeah. Well, the the nunnery uh, convents or nunnery. Con- yeah, I like the word okay. nunnery. Yeah, nunnery. Nunnery is good, but I think convent is the official term. Yeah, chocked full of nuns. <laughs> now, unsurprisingly, after this event, Esther 
was, to say the least, a bit traumatized. Uh, She would continually cry to herself to sleep every night, according to her family members slash roommates. They just believed that Esther and Bob must have gotten into some sort of heated argument, and they didn't want to ask her about it because they felt like it wasn't really her business or their business. Um, Bob, who had been coming to their house almost every other day, this is how much this man was in their house. After this, he never showed up ever again. And the reason the event with Bob McNeil is important is it seems to precede the paranormal activity that's about to pop off. Jumping to September 4th, 1878, Esther and her sister Jan were sharing a bed and were both attempting to go to bed for the night. The story goes that after sleeping for about 15 minutes, Esther woke up screaming because she believed that a mouse was crawling around in her bed sheets. Jan and Esther would light a lamp and search their room for a mouse, but could not find any evidence of said mouse. While the girls continued to search, they began to hear a noise coming from a green pasteboard box that was filled with patchwork, which was underneath the bed. As soon as the girls pulled it out to investigate, it just shot right up into the air, rising about a foot before it just came crashing and spilled all the patchwork to the ground. So this is kind of the very first thing that happens. Okay. Could... Mm, that's weird. So both of them claim to have seen this? Yes. Yes. It felt, gotcha. like, it felt like a mouse was um, like crawling around on them in the bed. Couldn't find said mouse. There's noises from this box. They pull it out and then it just shoots in the air. Gotcha. Could have been a mouse in the... <laughs> I mean, could have been a could have been a mouse in the bed. I don't know if a mouse could make a box shoot up in the air like that. Maybe maybe, a, a, maybe it's maybe master, an angry cat. Maybe it's Master Splinter. It could be Master <laughs> Splinter could pull that yeah. off uh, while he was in tiny mouse form. <laughs> um, I was going to say, kind of sounded a little bit like sleep paralysis mm. or a bad dream. Okay, um, she was she was in that weird zone of um, like just getting to sleep. So you said she was sleeping for about 15 minutes. Yeah, that's kind of it's 15, you know, a short time um, right at the beginning. And uh, like right at the end is when that sleep paralysis kind of hits you. So when you get the little little bits of hallucinations and, and whatnot. Yeah. So though the box, um, sometimes shit like that gets exaggerated when it gets told a bunch of times. And also, when you want people to believe you, you might exaggerate a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I, that too, I will but. say this event is l- the mildest of events to come. And uh, almost every other time, there's a lot more witnesses. So, I don't know if that gives it more credibility or not, but at yep. least there's more witnesses that are going to see shit happen. Yeah, kind of like a precursor. I will yeah. also say, too, uh, as far as paranormal go, it wouldn't be you do hear a lot of stories about kind of like not really demonic possessions, but kind of like weird paranormal shit happening right after like a traumatizing event. Yeah, a lot of times it becomes like a a possession type situation. Um, that possession, though, could also be like mental illness masking itself as a religious paranormal event type deal too. So yeah, very true. 
Yeah, I was going to say right when you said like that a traumatizing event, I was like, oh, well, that's a very good. That's always a very good Kickstarter for supposed I, paranormal stuff to happen to it. So. Um, yeah, though, I would say for like the poltergeist thing, the thing you always hear, I don't know if you will agree or disagree. Like you said, traumatizing event or <clears throat> and this sounds gross saying this, but like girls going through puberty mm. is the other big thing that is like revolves around poltergeist i don't know what that is but a lot of people uh in the in stories like this that's like the one factor that seems to uh, remain the same that's also when schizophrenia starts to <laughs> so. okay there it is <laughs> that's also mental illness in uh humans starts to pop up around puberty too so but i don't think it really pops off until you're in your Almost 20s. That's when it... No, I mean, that's when it, like, starts. Ah, you know? okay. But, yeah, okay. like, it's... It really presents itself in those... Yeah, but... You know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. The change happens, and then the change happens. Kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Now, after the box moved on its own, uh, naturally, the girls were freaked out. They screamed. This caused Daniel to come rushing into their room... The girls informed him as to what had just happened. Uh, Daniel, unsurprisingly, he just laughed and told them they must have imagined all of it. Just go back to bed. And the girls did so. The following day, at around 8 p.m., Esther complained that she was beginning to feel a bit feverish. So her sisters told her maybe she should just go lay down, go to bed. At around 10 p.m., Jane finally got into the bed with Esther uh, that they shared, and they had been, and Jane had been laying there for about 15 minutes before, out of nowhere, Esther jumped to the center of the room, yelled, "My God, what what can be the matter with me? Wake up, Jane! Wake up! I'm dying! I'm dying!" Jane told Esther she was just having a bad dream, but when Jane lit the uh, lit the lamp and gazed upon her sister's face, she was shocked at what it looked like. Esther's face was blood red, her eyes were bulging out of her head, her hair was almost standing on its ends, and her hands were grasping the back of a chair so hard her nails were embedding in the wood. Jesus. <laughs> that's that's a strong lady right there. Yeah, definitely. Um Yeah, I don't know. That's uh <laughs> So she was asleep, and then all of a sudden she like flew out of bed. Yeah, she flew so out the of red, bed. The red face and all of that could be, you know, uh, that's all feverish stuff. But uh, yeah, it must have been a one hell of a dream if she's <laughs> like a cat, like the hair on the back, you know, is standing up. And... They're they're like Esther, come back to bed. You're looking like Gary Busey in his mug shot. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking like Gary Busey on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the matter? We reference cats quite a couple times in yeah. this. There might be a if you if you if anybody, all the fans out there, if you've ever noticed, we have like every episode has a built-in theme that keeps recurring, and I think this <laughs> one's is cats cats yeah Yeah. it's it's um i was gonna say yeah i mean this is all it's all happening in their sleep too and i was also thinking about this you said that she lit the lamp so i wonder if they had that lamp lit 
when the box jumped up on its own. Um, actually, I I didn't write that in there, but yeah, they were they had the lamp lit when they were looking for the mouse. Obviously, they wouldn't be able to see without some form of light. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so they did have some form of light. Yeah, okay. yeah. So. I don't know how these people light the lamp so fast, but every <laughs> section, people just fucking light that lamp faster than you can turn on a goddamn uh, light switch. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they had they had matches back then, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, Probably yeah. not like we think of matches. No, no. Something something close to I'm, it. I, I mean, you've probably seen the kerosene burner. You take the glass off the top, spark it, light it, and then you're good. you turn the... The wick up and you're good to go. Okay, yeah. So it's got its own little built-in lighter deal. Yeah, I I get. Well, no, 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 no. You have to light it yourself, but you like take the glass off oh. and the wick is sticking up, and it's already yep. soaked in kerosene or whatever. When you light it, it just goes right up. Yeah, it would be hard for us probably to get that thing lit very quickly. But if they're doing this every day of their life. And it's just a normal thing for them. It'd be like us turning on a light bulb, pretty much. You know how many it's mar- all the same to them. You know how many marijuana smokers there are right now. Those motherfuckers <laughs> can light that. They can light a goddamn kerosene. Oh yeah. Candle. <laughs> well, with the shit from back then, yeah, they would yeah, probably yeah. wouldn't be because now they have like torches and you know. Very true. Very very good. True. Very good implements for doing. It, <laughs> so. Now, after all this happened, Jan obviously started screaming. This caused Olive and Daniel to run into their room, and they also got a good eye on what Esther looked like. Olive quickly covered Esther and uh, with a blanket and found that her body was pale, but it felt very hot. But her face was very red, but felt very cold. Also, her hmm. body had begun to swell up uh, way beyond what uh, Esther's normal physique looked like. They would quickly lay Esther back into the bed, trying to figure out, you know, what the hell should we do next? What was really strange was that the family would claim they lay her in bed and then they hear loud sounds that literally sound like thunder banging, but it's coming from inside the room. It was actually so loud that it shook the room. But if you look outside, it is not storming at all. What is also strange is that after the thunder banging noise stopped, Esther's condition, she just completely subsided and she just went back to her normal self. So it's almost like Hmm. something was happening to her in this instant. There's all these noises and then it went away and she kind of just went back to normal. Kind of like a demon. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a little bit strange. Like, poltergeist don't come on usually like this hot and heavy. Poltergeist usually start off with like little missing items here and there, um, you know, misplaced things, and then they pop up in the weirdest places or, you know, like stacked things that yeah. shouldn't be stacked. Yeah. Yeah. Like little bits of like little bits of sounds here and there, little bits of like shit moving around. Not quite like this. This is very centralized. It's a very focused. Here's the thing. Like like you mentioned, the traumatic events seem to kind of like energize these things. And if Esther's going through this trauma, it seems to be feeding off of her. It's basically what it's like. It's focused around her. 
Okay, so she's like the beacon. Yeah. Or for everything, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So it's gaining strength from her misery. Yeah. Then. That's what it seems like. Gotcha. Um, okay. obvi- it doesn't really mess with the other people in the house. Just kind of her. So it's kind gotcha. of strange from that. But there's a lot more um, events that are going to happen. Uh, so you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Uh, the following morning, after this crazy fucking thing happened... Esther was feeling just fine. Uh, Her appetite wasn't great, but that was about it. Four days later, Esther would have another weird night. Both Esther and Jane were sleeping in the bed when all of a sudden, the bed sheets flew off of the bed and landed in the corner of the room. Uh, Jane woke up freaked out. Apparently, she fainted. She was uh, so terrified by what just happened. Now, from the screams... This time, Olive, Daniel, William, and John, basically all the adults in the house, ran into the room. They saw the bedsheet sitting in the corner. They thought maybe the girls just threw him there. They picked him up, put him back on the bed, and the second they put him on the bed, they just shot across the room and went right back into the corner, as well as Esther's pillow flew out, and it hit John Teed in the face. Um, after the adults got the bed sheets back, they put him on the bed. And this time they actually just sat on top of them. So they could not move at all. Uh, <laughs> we'll fix this. <laughs> yeah. Show you, ghosty. Uh, after a while of them sitting on there, there's a succession of extremely loud knocks from beneath the bed. And then all the activity just stopped again. Just done for the Interesting. night. Yeah. And all of the adults are claiming that this happened. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Weird. See that? Here's the thing. This is a big lie that the whole family has to tell together to get this to work. So that's kind of where it's weird. Okay. So, and yeah, it's a little, I mean, the thing is all of this is probably coming from that one guy's book. Yes, right? yes, yes, it is. Okay, so that's kind of like the pinch point in yeah. all of these stories coming together. Correct. So, I mean, we don't have firsthand accounts from the family members. Um, there were stories of this, obviously, going around. That's the reason why he kind of came around yep. to this. But we do know that the game of telephone in a, well, a town the size of well, it's 9,800 now. It's probably a lot smaller it, back then. Uh, back then, uh, it was the, like 1,500. Yeah. So the game of telephone back during before they had telephones is probably pretty, uh, you know, the rumor mill was probably pretty, pretty big. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just trying to rationalize this so, in my head. So keep um, this in mind with this statement here is the author does not come to the house till much later. So this information, yep. if we believe his story, um, is being retold by the family members to him. Okay. Yeah. Tall tale. Could be a tall tale kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Where, Could be. Or it was, you know, maybe it just keeps growing and growing, that too. Um, but yeah, also could be really fucked up poltergeist activity. Uh, if you believe in poltergeist. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to keep an open mind at both of them just because 
he had to have written this book and then those four people would have read what he wrote. So I'm guessing if he was able to write that and, you know, not have any trouble from the people who were witness to it, then it must be kind of what their rendition was. Right. So, right. They Um, believe that it happened at least. So I'm going to keep an open mind on. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my thoughts at the end because this, okay. Um, has a little bit of shades of uh, some, like, something else that was kind of going on during this time. Now, the following day, uh, f- you know, the family, I guess, didn't really know what to do. So they decide they're going to call a doctor and have Esther looked at. So Dr. Uh, Carright uh, would come over to the house. Danny would tell the doctor all about what's been happening, which caused Dr. Carright to just simply laugh, uh, claiming that the girl was playing tricks on them after the doctor examined Esther. His diagnosis was that she was suffering from, quote, nervous excitement and was in some sort of like constant shock, I guess. I love the old timey diagnoses. You're just (laughs) got a little nervous excitement, young lady. Now you need to start smoking more cigarettes. You got to mellow you out a little bit. (laughs) Now, while the doctor thought nothing of the claims initially, while he was at the home, uh, he was actually able to witness some of the paranormal activity for himself, which included the pillow flying across the room, the bed sheets flying across the room on their own, and he was also able to witness the loud knocking noise that seems to be always happening in this house. Also, while the doctor was kind of in the house, a new type of activity began when they heard scratching on the walls. The same night that they heard the scratches, they discovered a scratched-in message on the wall that said, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. So, So the doctor, now I want everybody to keep in mind, the doctor witnessing this, this is over like multiple visits. This isn't just one day. You know, he checked on her a few times and then this shit started happening on his later visits. Gotcha. Okay. So that message could have been written on the wall and then they could have claimed to have noticed it, like happened to be like while he was there. Possibly. Situation. Possibly. It's not, it's not like this is all happening like bang, bang, bang. No. Sheets fly off the bed pillow flies away all of a sudden there's a scratching at the wall then they can read something scratched into the wall this is all happening like later and later yeah yeah it kind of reminds me of this might be the people you're talking about there were two girls who were really good at kind of doing the parlor trick where you throw your voice and you kind of make knocking noises with your feet you kind of misdirection you're, you're talking about you're talking about the fox sisters yes yep they, i'm talking about them see they were happening right around this time so this is where i'm like you gotta remember obviously yeah. i don't know <laughs> if esther was fluent in fucking what the fox sisters were doing but um it was sort of around the same time you've got to remember People had a lot of fucking time to kill back then. <laughs> that like, is amuse, very true. They would do things to like amuse themselves. That so, is very true. You know, like that kind of shit. There's only there's only so many books you can read. You know, there's you got to remember, there's no TV. 
Um, maybe you could go watch a play or something or hear someone sing if you live in like a big city. But if you're living in a town of 1500 people, I mean, you and you're a young lady who doesn't really leave the house much because they don't really let you leave the house unless you're, you know, <laughs> on a date or almost getting, yeah, you know, date raped out in a carriage yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You're probably not like talking to a bunch of people, you know, sounds no. like she spends a lot of time inside. Yeah. Yeah, so, for the most with her part. Sister. Yeah, with her sister taking yeah. care of her sister's kids, stuff yep. like that. So, yes. Um, was I'd, that who you were thinking of? Was yes. it the Fox sisters? Yes. Okay. That's yeah, why gotcha. I'm saying, like, the, the time frames, I actually think this might be before the Fox sisters got really popular, but um, mm-hmm. they were around. But what is happening kind of in... This story, these types of things are extremely similar to what happened in the Enfield uh, haunting, which they they have videos of shit happening. So that's where it's like, yeah, you might think some of this shit might be happening. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of funny because you kept on saying Esther and Jane. Yes, are always around when it happens it's always and nothing else is happening in any other room except for whenever they're there and they're able to set shit up it seems like they do have because you said like the doctor is there a few different times so they are able to set shit up yes so the activity is about to move to different rooms so um, they it, were the ones who noticed the box jumping up in the air. Yep, They're yep. on the bed when the sheets fly off. Okay. So so that's your theory of, so far. That's my theory so far okay. is that there is a uh, the Fox sisters situation. Okay. All right. Well, let's yep. keep that in mind as we continue on here. Um, okay. Now, as I kind of mentioned um, about the Enfield haunt, and these, what I'm about to say is extremely similar to the Enfield haunting. Um, basically, the the types of act- the activity that would transpire, uh, Esther would claim <laughs> to be pelted by either potatoes <laughs> or wooden planks. Uh, the knocking started coming from all over the house. Uh, one person actually said it sounded like someone was smashing the roof with a sledgehammer. That's the similar noise that was coming. Um, and... They, I, I have ahead. to say it. This poltergeist has to be a mick. <laughs> An Irishman. <laughs> drunken, pelting her with potatoes. Yeah. yeah. Making sledgehammer smashing sounds on the roof. Like <laughs> I heard in Ireland, if you want to confess your love to a lady, you have to smash her roof in with a fucking sledgehammer. <laughs> Doing it while drunk. Yeah. That's a given. Yeah. Though, but, yeah. yeah that, that, let, that lets her know you really like her. Now, uh, the family started to notice like the knockings kind of came would start to kind of come when you ask a question. Right. And they started to try to use a method so they could kind of communicate with the entity. Um, say like, give us one knock for a yes, give multiple knocks for a no. And they found this was kind of a effective way of communicating with the being if they wanted to ask it a question although you're limited to yes or no and again this happened they did this in the uh enfield uh haunting as well the knocking Mm -hmm. and asking questions thing 
Yeah. They should see if it knows Morse code. Actually, <laughs> what year is it? The 70? Maybe. I don't know if, when Morse code was invented, but it'd be kind of interesting. It would. It was what is this, it 1878. Had, yeah, it had to be around this I time. I think they would have had it yeah. around then. Yeah, it was. It was around this time. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been like as new as the internet is now, <laughs> basically back then. So very true. <laughs> and uh, some older people still struggle to use the internet. So um, it would have been the new tech career, yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> this Morse code's really going to be popping off in a few years, guys. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Now, as they became increasingly more disturbed by the continuous activity, uh, you know, the family, as you do in the time period, they're going to call in some of these holy wizards, the clergymen, to come help them out. A Baptist minister who came to the house and witnessed the activity believed that the incident with Bob McNeil had caused Esther to turn into some sort of, quote, electric battery for the paranormal activity. A Wesleyan minister, uh, Methodist preacher also would witness the paranormal activity in the home, which included a bucket of cold water that had mysteriously began to boil and froth. Neither of these men were successful in any way of hampering the activity of the poltergeist. Okay, so... Yeah, they're calling in the big guns from uh, <laughs> not only uh, not just one not just one uh, type of religion either. They're calling in Baptists, Methodists, no Catholics. They though. maybe if yeah if it is an Irish poltergeist, they might want to try Catholic. Yeah, the Catholic uh, priest will be able to uh, get rid of take it. Take that poltergeist down. Yeah, the yeah. It's kind of funny that the priest came to the house and it didn't seem like they did anything besides be like. Yeah, there's something here. <laughs> I don't know. This shit's weird. I keep hearing <laughs> knocking. <laughs> now, unsurprisingly, the news of the paranormal activity began to pass through town to town, which drew in curious people who wanted to witness some of the supernatural activity. Uh, a lot of people who visited the home, they might have had experiences but they actually believed that Esther was a master at hypnosis and was simply hypnotizing them into believing <laughs> that they were seeing this stuff. So I guess that's a, a theory. In December of 1878, something really interesting happened. And this, I think, is going to raise your ears here, Phil. Esther contracted diphtheria. Now, as she was recovering from this illness, which took two weeks... Not a single shred of paranormal activity happened within the home. There was another point that Esther would take a trip to Sackville, New Brunswick to visit another sister. And also for those whole two weeks that Esther was not in the house, not a single incident of paranormal activity occurred. What do you make of that? Well, it sounds like the poultry ice might have uh, taken a trip to go visit its sister. <laughs> so a little obviously that's what you're you're gonna be thinking. Yeah. When you're too sick in bed, you know, obviously even if she was recovering from diphtheria in bed, I could see her getting that part doesn't really work for me because I could see her getting bored and doing a little bit of her, you know, knocking and 
voice throwing, whatever she was doing, the yeah. tricks and yeah. whatnot. Um, unless she was like super like near death, like well, recovering from something like really bad. I, I was reading um, about bit diphtheria and it doesn't sound great. <laughs> Sounds like yeah, you don't I'm want guessing, it. <laughs> I'm guessing a shitting blood situation mm. or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, some, some, something where you're not really up for fucking with people. Really. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, she takes a trip and that might be explained in the positive as, Oh, well, you know, the spiritual battery left the house. So obviously there's going to be nothing weird happening, but it could also be explained as the magician left the stage and nothing weird happened. You know, right. that sort of deal. Yeah. So. yeah, exactly. So either the activity's following her or she's doing it. Where uh, That's where the crosswords is, I guess. Um, now, at some point, Jane moved herself into another room because she believed it would kind of help put a hamper on the activity that was happening if maybe um, Esther was by herself. But it in fact did the exact opposite. The loud knocks within the home got even worse. More items were being tossed all around the house. Apparently even lit matches would drop down from the ceiling in Esther's bedroom, which was witnessed by more people than just Esther. Uh, one of Esther's dresses apparently just moved from wherever it was, shot under the bed and then caught on fire. Apparently. <laughs> Uh, there is another incident when Olive and Esther, as sisters are wont to do, they're just making butter in the kitchen, when all of a sudden mm -hmm. a fire burst out in the cellar of the home. Luckily for them, a stranger just happened to be walking by. Uh, he ran into the house, grabbed the dining room rug, and snuffed out the fire before their entire house just fucking went up in flames. Yeah. Fire, I don't know about that last one. Fire back then is pretty fucking common. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, most of the country had like, <laughs> I mean, most of the country's towns, just listen to small town murder. Yeah. They always talk about <laughs> like when fire destroyed the town. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Like there was a lot of like random fire back then. These houses were basically tinderbox. Yeah. Yeah, they are very, very fucking fortunate. This shit did not just also, fucking burn up. Also, all of these homes are being lit by, you know, glass bottles filled with oil, flammable oil that are on fire. <laughs> so there's that, too. <laughs> Imagine uh, anyone who has cats knows what cats like to do when a glass is near the edge of a table. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. But it's a glass lamp with oil and fire on it. So. And there, yeah, and there's a ghost who acts like a cat and is yeah. gonna knock that over, or a potentially a <laughs> 19 year old girl who kind of acts like a cat. I was going to say this. Um, you mentioned that Jane left that room thinking that maybe the poltergeist activity would stop. In my mind, I'm thinking that makes it seem like well, if it is Esther doing this now, she needs to do things loud enough because her witness, the person you know, being bothered by all of this shit besides her supposedly is Jane. And once she moves out now, the knocking needs to be loud enough for everyone in the house to hear. Yeah. So no yeah. wonder it's getting worse. Yeah. I was kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking that too. Like if we believe Esther is the 
main cause of this, right? Um, and she mm-hmm. is, unfortunately is going through this trauma of some kind um, and feeling maybe like her sister's leaving her, you know, could upset her and, you know, escalate. That's kind of where I was thinking about it from that aspect. Yeah. Like, um, she's going through a, a tough time, regardless of the poltergeist. She very clearly has a traumatic event that happened on top of kind of having his shitty life anyway. Yeah, it's definitely Jane moving out escalated the situation, uh, depending on maybe you believe it is a poltergeist and kind of without Jane there. It was just Esther and slumped in her despair. Whatnot, yeah, which made yeah. it worse. Very true. Or. Maybe Jane kind of was starting to believe like, well, maybe it's Esther just fucking with me. And if I leave the room, I won't get fucked with anymore. Yeah. But now now the now all of the shit dropping and the things happening need to escalate so that everyone like knows it's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Now, at some point during this event, there was an entire six week period where not a single thing happened in the house esther was not sick esther was not x y and z just nothing happened for six weeks after that six weeks uh the spontaneous fires started up again but at this point daniel believing that probably okay this shit's done with he's he (laughs) then it started up again and he felt that was actually unsafe to have esther reside within their home anymore so he requested that She's going to go ahead and stay at the pub all day and she's going to sleep at the pub that he owned. Um, <laughs> this not a big surprise here, but the activity just shifted from the home to the pub, which included, this is no joke, a small pocket knife shot and stuck into Esther's back, but she was not hurt badly. So it must have been kind of a, a littler knife, but... They were kind of at their wits end at this point. It can't be at home. They can't be at the pub. What are they going to do? So they decided to send Esther in the spring of 1879 to St. John, New Brunswick on the invitation of a military officer, which is very strange. I don't I don't even know why the military would be involved, but apparently he requested for her to come and they're going to study her. I heard about a girl. <laughs> It's fucking 11. It's fucking 11, dude. (laughs) Goddamn stranger thing. Oh, well, no, I was thinking the way you kind of made it sound like there was some military officer who heard that Ah, there was a single chick. Okay. was like, yeah, "Yeah, I need a wife. (laughs) Yeah. Over here. (laughs) This would have been at the time. This would have been the British military, too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's not... Uh, at this time, what, 1879, we might be in Dominion of Canada time frame here. But even up until world, even like during World War II, the Canadians who fought um, in World War II were it was still like a British holding situation. So that whole time they were considered like uh, it was a colonial, obviously, but it's British military. So, OK, the Canadian right. arm of the British military. Um, at least in the 1900s. I don't know, 1879, they might actually be British soldiers sent over here. So so this Knicker... Or sent over to Nova Scotia. So this Knicker bopping officer 
heard about a single lady <laughs> and he was like he he wanted to see if he could uh put a ring on it huh i think uh what is that that term might be dutch <laughs> ah <laughs> when new okay. york was owned by or you know yeah, was owned he, by the yeah. uh, non non-english but yeah <laughs> I don't know where you got that term from, but I don't know. It just sounded British. That's why I went with it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> now, once uh, S arrived in St. John, a, there was a group of men who were trying to use the science that was available to them at the time to kind of try to figure out what the hell is going on with Esther. So they devised a plan instead of using the yes or no answers with the knocks because you could only ask so many questions. Instead, they did the trick where they gave every letter in the alphabet a number. The entity would hit the wall to correspond with the letter that they wanted to use. So if he knocked on the wall three times, that was a C, something like that. So with this, they wanted to find out the names or name of the entity. And apparently there was several entities that claimed to be in the presence of Esther here. Their names were, now tell me if this sounds a little weird to you, Bob Nickel, Maggie Fisher, Peter Cox, Mary Fisher, Jan Nickel, and Eliza McNeil. Lester, Esther... Esther would be at St. John's for a total of eight weeks. And according to the family back home, Amherst was extremely peaceful for this entire time she was gone. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the w- man who attacked her, his name was Bob yep. McNeil. Yep. There is a Bob in this. There is a person <laughs> with the last name McNeil. Yeah. Her sister's name is Jane. Her yep. last name is Cox. Yep. <laughs> um, and then there's probably a shit ton of Marys and Maggies and just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mary came up, didn't she? That's one of the people before. No. Or am I? No. Is it Mary or Maggie? I don't think there's either a Mary or a Maggie. There, oh, okay, gotcha. It, um, but um, but yeah, that's where I saw too. Because so, you got Bob Nickel and Eliza McNeil. Yeah, Jan. <laughs> you got Cox. I feel like the Fisher um, thing was uh, what was it like? Maybe her other sister's new last name, maybe or something like that. I feel like that was okay. the case. So. Yeah, you can kind of see, um, I don't know if this is her way (laughs) of, like, dealing with what happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, making up kind of these deals in her head. It's, yeah, it's very, once you started naming off the names, I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Bob, Jane, McNeil, Cox, like, (laughs) yeah, going with what we know. Yeah. Yeah, obviously you can tell I'm starting to lean pretty heavy into uh, the yeah. bullshit category here. Yeah, um, it's it's hard not to though when and then you kept and then uh, back in Amherst, really weird, extremely peaceful at this time. No <laughs> one was uh, having anything thrown at their back or fire starting or you know anything like that. I was also going to ask too: Did anyone witness the knife like 
lunging itself into her back or yeah, did she just show up with a knife wound in the back? <laughs> apparently they they saw it. it. Apparently the story goes is that the little pocket knife belonged to like a boy who was in the bar and it just disappeared out of his pocket and went into her back, I guess. Um, and obviously a pub's going to have people in it. So yeah. there was people there. How it happened, I don't know. Okay, could have been a sleight of hand thing. Grabbed it out of his pocket, jammed it in her back in a non-vital uh, <laughs> organ area, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, if the knife's small then, enough, you're going to have trouble hitting an organ. <laughs> yeah, well, basically. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah, you know. But I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I can't wait till we get to the very end of this to... Uh, to hear how you feel then but um continue <laughs> continuing on uh after her time at saint john and she finally returned home big surprise the paranormal activity started up once again it continued all the same antics but this time this is where walter hubble comes into the picture and he actually paid the teed family rent so he could stay there simply, in his words, to disprove the activity. Over the next six weeks, Walter witnessed with his own eyes all of the paranormal activity that we talked about throughout the episode. Walter would make a special note that he thought it was very interesting how the spirit could be causing chaos all week long, but on the day of the Sabbath, nothing ever would happen. Okay? Keep that in mind. Hmm. Walter uh, wanted to get involved with the knocking method, not necessarily the letters, but he just went with the yes or no. He asked all these questions. I didn't include in all about God and all this shit. Um, but the only answers that he got a yes to from the spirit was that it told him the spirit was from hell and that he had seen the devil. Okay. So what says you? Well, um... It's nice that he paid them rent to kind of uh, hang out here for the six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just like we said, uh, it's just like that meme you see on Instagram. This is just too good. Got to make money off of this. Yeah. Got to figure out how to make money off of this. Yeah. That sort of thing. So, I mean, obviously the story's starting to get around quite yeah. a bit. Uh, yeah. We did talk a little bit about morris code before and it sounds like it's it's not really morris code because that's a number of um you know dots and dashes the you know it would be like quick knocking and then like hard long knocking yeah so they're just doing it with letters also i was thinking too the reason so all of those were full names but they weren't really like character heavy names like you know uh the last names were pretty short. The yeah. first names were pretty yeah. short. Yeah. So like that situation. Also, he's just using the knocking method. And it sounds like he's really, if he's asking so many like religious questions, he knows his audience kind of situation. Okay. So I yeah. don't know if he's big into religion, but maybe he knows the readers will be. I maybe. mean, I, I don't know for certain uh, uh, that, but obviously... Uh, people were way religious during this time. Yeah, that's a good point. Everyone was. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was religious. I think this too might be during the time of kind of, uh, what, like those revivals, like the Millerites 
and oh yeah um, yeah the the really big when they would set up like basically almost like a county fair situation for preachers to like travel around in i'm thinking that this was that time so yeah 1870s yeah. 80s yeah type deal yeah yeah you're probably right um actually you know what's a good point is if this book has like a christian point of view on top of the existing spiritual um beliefs as well he's kind of double dipping on the two separate belief systems because he's got the ghost and then he's got the uh, uh the christian side of it as well yep same thing with the guardian angel slash near-death experience type books that you see yeah it's always heavy-handed religion in yeah. all of those yeah. you can't just get like paranormal entities that might be seen as angels or near-death experiences maybe you're going you know your near-death experience is going out into the universe more of a like a less of a religious kind of experience and more of a spiritual thing yeah but yeah they always get heavy-handed with religion to sell copies you have a built-in audience pretty much <laughs> just like with christian rock built an audience. yeah 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 that is very true phil now we kind of have one big unique event that happens it's kind of like the grand finale i guess um this happens in june of 1879 everyone including walter started hearing just kind of the sounds of trumpets throughout the day and by the end of the day all of a sudden a silver trumpet just fell from the ceiling crashed on the floor made a loud noise and it just was chilling in the room now apparently not a single person owned a trumpet nor had seen this trumpet or had no fucking idea where it came from okay so interesting yeah um i don't know apparently this trumpet was making noises then just kind of materialized <laughs> out of thin air <laughs> so they heard trumpet sounds then they found a trumpet yeah and yeah i mean back then a silver trumpet would have been a pretty penny so um do irish people have any involvement with silver trumpets i don't know i'm thinking i'm trying to remember the trumpets you see in movies like for back then yeah um mostly like they're all like bronze i think or like brass maybe yeah yeah um because i know i i saw this thing on musical instruments and apparently making like if you make a trombone out of brass compared to silver compared to like like a denser metal it sounds better so maybe silver sounds better for trumpets than like brass or a softer metal aluminum but I don't know. It it seems like it would be kind of an expensive thing. Um, also, though, she, where was she hanging out for all that time? What do you mean? With mil with military people, wasn't she? Uh, no, she's back home right now. No, I know that. But before this, she was oh. hanging out with military people. Calvary back then used to use trumpets. So you think she uh, she stole one, stored it away? Potentially. Into, okay. She could have stole hey. a silver trumpet. Hey, I mean, when she was hanging out with the military folk, didn't maybe even, that also too, there were musical instrument stores. Maybe she got it from, 
Um, it sounds like they had some money. If he owns this house, he owns this this big house. I mean, it sounds like they were sharing beds, but that wasn't uncommon at all back then. It sounds like a decent sized house with all these people in it. He also owns a pub, so maybe he's got some money. Maybe she had resources. But it's I'm just possible. saying, like, where she might have gotten a trumpet from, she was hanging out with the military for. That's a good so. point. I did not even uh, did not put that together. But yeah, <clears throat> just think of like cavalry charges. Yeah, that the first thing that came to my mind was the Civil War, but um, or mm. like blowing the trumpet when they're marching or whatever. But um, anyway, yeah, they still they but, still had um trumpets back then also revelry and everything but this was still during the time of horse cavalry and you know yeah very yeah. very much pre-war of 1889 so yeah, yeah. or 1898 though. yeah <laughs> not 89 um well i'm gonna i got one more little section here to close this out and then we can kind of uh piece this whole story back together so even though walter was here uh wasn't necessarily helping the activity go away uh the teed family felt they they really had no other option so at this point they just simply told esther you gotta move out of the house so esther actually would travel with walter around the country doing speaking tours and kind of telling people about their experiences um unfortunately this was not meant positively she was actually just heckled and the audience was just calling her a liar uh, with the mm. failure of their kind of little tour here. Esther Cox would go to live with a friend of the Teed family, but not long after she arrived, their barn would burn down. You don't say. Uh, Esther would actually be blamed <laughs> for this and was sentenced to four months in prison, but she was released after three for good behavior a strapping young man who would visit her while she was in prison. Uh, after she got out, the two of them actually ended up getting married and had children. According to all sources, after her time in prison and subsequently getting married, all of the, para- uh, the poltergeist activity completely ceased. So that brought a stop to it at all. Apparently, Mr. Poltergeist does not like to do hard time. Yeah, doesn't like to do hard time. Uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever hole in her life that needed to get filled got filled. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She had her own family, her own house now. <laughs> uh, more important thing to do. It also sounds a bit like she's a pyromaniac, kinda. Maybe. Uh, at yeah. least likes fire. Yeah. Um, when you said the weird thing is the barn burned down, I was like, <laughs> oh, I bet the barn fucking burned down. <laughs> Also, I like how she moves out of the house and then immediately goes on tour. That's kind of yeah. fun. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like I mentioned, somebody finds out that there's a single lady, even if she's in prison, there's going to be a dude who comes to go visit her. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't. Same thing happens now. Those dating sites. Yeah. The- <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine um, there was that many women in prison at this time. Maybe there was. I, I don't know. Yeah, potentially. I don't know. Um, that's a good question. There, obviously, it's not the same situation that we have now. There, yeah, it would have been. Well, it would have been Canada, so it wouldn't have even been the same like system that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking more of like kind of how 
they had old forts or old you know those big ass churches that they use for prisons oh um, yeah basically you're living in like the gallows kind of deal you know yeah yeah um yeah that's odd uh so <laughs> she gets blamed sentenced to four months out in three for good behavior and then that shit all stops yeah so, yeah so a little bit of a kick in the kick in the pants for so you think is your conclusion that kind of um esther was kind of all doing this simply as a response to the trauma that she experienced yeah um who knows after so her you said that when she went on tour she got a lot of heckling and no one i mean yeah she came back home the barn burned down then she went to prison i'm guessing that maybe some of the shit was still happening but her husband just didn't put up with it type deal um maybe she was still doing it here and there but you know what i mean like you didn't want the publicity yeah 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 i know what you're saying um Cause I mean, she did have shit to do now. She had a husband, she had a family to take care of. Um, still though, if she got, you know, a little antsy, but nothing ever kind of came out of that house that she was living in. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's weird that after she faced some negative consequences for this shit happening, it suddenly ceased. Yeah. I, so. w- I want you to keep in mind in the original book, like what happened, with the tour and all that, um, that's that part is not in the book. That information yeah. was collected from sources. I'm assuming that interviewed her later in life or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Um, if Esther is responsible for all this, she should have been a fucking magician. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, she didn't parlay it quite as well as the five sisters did. No, her skills. No, maybe it was also because she couldn't quite figure out how to control her environments. She had to be. It's not something where she could just kind of like jump up on stage and do it like the Fox sisters did. Yeah, it has to be where she has. She has to set up her little her little situations beforehand. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just my kind of idea. I'm just spitballing kind of. But maybe she wasn't as good on the fly as the Fox were so if you had to give a percentage of this actually being a ghost or poltergeist of some kind what would you give it um unless it's a topa if it's a topa i'm gonna say five okay all right poltergeist i'm gonna say i'll give it uh one one okay i mean it's better than none so it's uh, better than zero i could have given it Demonic possession, I would actually give that one five as well, but only because of the mental kind of uh, trauma that she had gone through. Maybe a fucking, if demons are real, maybe a demon came in, but more of a topa because it seems like she's kind of, if it is some kind of paranormal thing, she's definitely manifesting it. Um, She is the, if there is a demon, it's her kind of situation you know what i mean yeah like yeah oh i i did forget to mention uh william hubble's kind of theory on what happened is he actually thinks it i don't know if he's meaning like bob mcneil's dead but like a spirit or something created by bob mcneil 
is was what was tormenting her. Okay, gotcha. So, so I don't know if like because Bob McNeil's never mentioned again. I don't know if that just means he disappeared <laughs> or is dead or I don't know what that means. But her, bro- uh, her brothers probably took care of him quietly. Probably, maybe yeah, pr- probably turned his ass into fucking that's how, leather. That's shoes. what happened back then. Yeah, he just wasn't yeah. seen in town anymore. That yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, um, a frightener situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess if Bob, I don't know if he hated Esther or is just crazy or what, but clearly he was going to do harm to her in some, yeah, some way. I, we're not sure which way, if it was, you know, rape, murder, whatever. Um, he clearly wanted to do harm to her. So maybe if it was him that did this to her, I I mean, that's unlikely, but possible. Also, if she never really said what happened, she only kind of said like, well, you know, the bare minimum of what kind of happened. Um, it's all, you know, like it's all seems, sounds like speculation. It all sounds like the only people who know what actually happened are dead now. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, like there's thoughts that it was this or that it was that. Um, it, I mean, for her to be in bed, you know, uh, even even just having someone pull a gun on you and nearly killing you, yeah. that's very traumatizing. That's that's traumatizing enough. Um, but yeah, and then the, if it was sexual assault and, you know, violence, yeah, that's bad. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know. It It's weird because it's not like it was little things that kind of like all of a sudden... It, it, it's all very like all of a sudden it's not like little things if it was a poltergeist like i mentioned it would be like little things here and there that you would see like around the house or around her it wouldn't be like full bore fucking like sheets getting ripped off the bed and that sort of thing. yeah so yeah also it would kind of stick around a little bit too it wouldn't just be when she's in the room it right. you know what i mean right. like um because a poltergeist haunts a house not necessarily a well, person. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure it's centered around a person, like an individual. Oh, they are? I yeah. thought they were I tied mean, to the home well, or like, the, the place. No. Most poltergeists seem to revolve around one person, but it will affect everybody. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. The, the Enfield was, I can't remember her fucking name, the little girl. Um, a lot of other poltergeists always seem to be tormenting one person more than the others or will react to the one person more than the others. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I'll say this in, in my thing about this story. Obviously, I think the poltergeist part of it or ghost or whatever is a smaller percentage. But with the simple correlations and... Uh, identical activity that happens between this and ones that are, we're more well documented now um, gives me a little bit of a pause because there is, you know, a hundred year fucking gap between when they happen. So uh, I don't know. It, that part of it kind of, I think, is a little weird. Um, but because I highly doubt people in the 90s or 80s who had a poltergeist found this guy's book and read it word for word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, it's... Hmm, that's a good point. 
Um, I was thinking more like kind of like tall tales about this kind of shit passed down or like enthusiasts because there there are people all the time like who would be enthusiasts of all this stuff and would learn about you know like what's going on the all the spiritualists and the mediums and everybody anyone who's trying to make money off the paranormal basically is learning all the stories that they can get so that they can you know try to profit off of it so maybe they found it from someone else um, also, it could just be kind of a coincidence because it's not all like the same. There's different things happening. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of, yeah. Uh, it's not like it's verbatim. Like, no, no, no. The no. stories are, no, you no, know, no. It's uh, just like it's similar. Yeah. The throwing stuff, objects being thrown around, the knocking, the weird noises, stuff like that is, yeah. You hear a lot in like these types yeah. of hauntings. So that's a lot of that shit is from stories for thousands of years, though, too. That could be. It's not exclusive to, you know, the 19th or 20th century poltergeist hauntings. We're talking about like around the world. There's talk of like some paranormal entity, like throwing shit around, you know, starting fires, doing all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a trickster, a trickster. (laughs) There you go. That's perfect. A Um, pain in the a pain in the ass spirit. (laughs) Yeah, very true. Well, guys, if you want to give us your opinion on what the hell was going on in Amherst, where can they contact us, Phil? Well, if they want to tell us that we're full of shit, they can get a <laughs> hold of us at our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing from you guys, the good, the bad, uh, suggestions, praise, criticisms, whatever. Give it all to us. We love it. Also, even easier way to get a hold of us, probably through our Instagram subliminal deception podcast on ig same thing all the likes all the shares everything uh, it's all good you know ideas for shows we love it all uh cody has his own instagram what is that cody you can follow me at cody Sabub. give me a follow send me a comment whatever you want to do i greatly appreciate everyone who's taking the time to do that the last thing we ask you guys to do is log on to itunes Leave the show a five-star review. doesn't particularly matter what you say. Uh, just type something in the box, hit five stars, hit submit. We greatly appreciate everyone who's taken time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's real easy. Hit five stars, hit submit. You're all done. I see those numbers increasing. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed a little paranormal activity to kick off 2024. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.